A recent executive order from the Biden administration on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. It's put more wind in the sails of those who manage federal disability and 508 programs. The order calls on agencies to remove barriers people might face, and that includes federal employees with disabilities. Accessibility managers in government say the extra attention is a welcome change. We get more now from Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. Accessibility hasn't always been a part of the diversity and inclusion conversation. But federal accessibility managers say the extra focus now on their programs is a long time coming. A lot of times, accessibility was an afterthought. Annette Carr is the Disability Program Manager for the Transportation Security Administration. A lot of times in what we do with dealing with accessibility, we are reactive. There's a problem. We have an employee or an applicant, someone from the public who can't access something, and we are scrambling to fix it. And so I think a lot of times we are seen as party crashers. And so I think one of the solutions to that is to try to figure out how do you get invited to the table or the party before it's a a problem. And, And that is hard. President Biden signed an executive order on improving diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in the federal workforce back in June. That DEIA order nudges the A, accessibility, closer to the spotlight. It tells agencies to identify barriers for members of underserved populations inside the federal workforce, and that includes employees with disabilities. And it urges agencies to look for those barriers across the entire life cycle of an employee's experience in government, from the time they get there to the time they leave, and the opportunities they have in between. Here's Carr again. This information is not new to us, but it's an opportunity to embrace a different way of starting to include everybody. And, you know, we've we've got some more power behind us. The federal government in recent years has done a decent job meeting and often exceeding its goals for hiring people with disabilities. A Government Accountability Office study finds agencies hired 143,000 employees with disabilities between 2011 and 2015, and then another 79,000 new hires in 2016 and 2017. But that same study shows that agencies struggled to retain those new hires. 39% of those employees with disabilities hired during that six-year period left their jobs after a year. Senator Tammy Duckworth. Clearly, much work remains when it comes to establishing a federal work environment that is accessible and inclusive for civil servants with disabilities. This is urgent and vitally important work. If thousands of Americans with disabilities are swiftly exiting federal services because of the issues related to accessibility, professional development, and non-inclusive cultures, do we really think that the interests of millions of Americans with disabilities that rely on these federal agencies are being championed? Accessibility managers think about these barriers all the time, but the recent executive order forces all of government to think about creating an environment that meets everyone's needs, including employees with disabilities. It encompasses the digital tools they use and their physical workspaces and accommodations. Here's Carr again. Isn't exciting just because most of us sitting here eat, sleep, breathe accessibility, but this is an underlying thread throughout DEIA. And as we know, it's an important piece. And so as DEIA talks about developing partnerships, it's encouraging that we talk about accessibility. You know, in this room, we've always talked about the life cycle of accessibility. Accessibility needs to be incorporated 
from the beginning. And DEIA embraces that, but it also says we need to do that across the board with all our partners. Agencies say they are building those partnerships with IT, general counsel, acquisition, and budget staffs. Bobby Duffy is the chief information officer at the Merit Systems Protection Board. With steps like the executive order signed earlier this year by the president, along with a good chance that MSPB will soon have a board again, After years without a quorum, there are several good signs ahead for robust support for a merit-driven government. From a technology perspective, we can't simply deploy shining new systems and call it modernization. We have to modernize the workforce to include accessibility right up front in the design phase. From a business perspective and from a process perspective, it's important that we identify workflows and work stream and use cases that 508 is part of that discussion. For better customer support, for more of an automated trail, it helps build in collaboration right from the beginning. The MSPB is in the middle of modernizing nearly a dozen systems. That includes its 12 to 13-year-old online appeals filing system and a new secure file sharing program. MSPB previously had to burn case documents onto a CD and mail the disk to district courts and agencies that they worked with. Until recently... Duffy says he evaluated and vetted possible vendors for a new file sharing program. And when he did, he brought the MSPB's accessibility manager into those conversations. The two of them worked with the MSPB budget and acquisition offices to include 508 compliance language into the contracts for the new file sharing system. They're replicating that process as they adopt a new modern e-appeal system now. Dennis Odin is the MSPB's accessibility program manager. We are in a multi-year, multi-step process that I know can't come soon enough for a lot of folks in our agency to completely overhaul and revamp the entire e-appeal system. And that doesn't limit it just to how it looks for folks on the outside, those users, but then also for employees on the inside as well, because we are taking every step we can to make sure that 508 is baked in all the way from the very get-go. Other agencies have seen similar success. The Federal Aviation Administration has been striking up conversations with its HR and IT shops. Mike Looney is the Disabilities Program Manager for the FAA. Really diving into our workforce data and utilizing the data of what employees have self-identified as having a disability and seeing if I can you know, somehow reach out to them and survey the workforce with the individuals that I could perceive would be using assistive technology to determine, you know, what issues are they having, what successes have they had to kind of really get it, you know, understanding for there and then bring that information to our IT office and our Section 508 office to say, hey, these are some of the problem areas that our, our employees have identified. And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention had accessibility conversations with its acquisition program managers. Mark Urban is the Section 508 program manager for the CDC. That conversation led to us reviewing almost 20,000 different acquisitions a year for, I think last year was $16.2 billion, where we got eyes on at the beginning of projects and the beginning of expenditures to identify potential risks and have engagements with the projects and programs. Nicole Ligrisco, Federal News Network. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. 
Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was 
it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, 
we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.